Hello, Edgar. Hello, Gregor. How are you doing? Doing pretty well, thank you. How are things with you? I'm good, thank you. Glad to hear. So, we are here, as we always do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, what brings us together? You know, the podcast. <laughs> I know you're going to say that. The podcast. What's going to be in, in the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so, today we are talking about neutrality and external discourse. So more specifically, we are going to address what we mentioned two months ago about uh, heteronormativity, and we're going to have a discussion about that. Mm -hmm. Then we, we are going to talk about how psychoanalytic terms can be normalized in our societies. We are going to have a discussion on what does gay straight mean, Spoiler alert, it is not about what it means in terms of sexual orientation, okay? It's going to be a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. Then the struggle with identity politics. We are going to talk about the distinction between differences in the values and when we question as analysts. And I will bring up at the end very quickly something that's very important to me is on how to use the social because I tend to feel that there is a significant difference in how we can use it. And sometimes, even as psychoanalysts, we tend to use the social onto the patient, while I think that we should really try to use the social from the patient experience. We will go deeper into that. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems that it's a packed podcast. Mm. It is, and all that on an out-of-bound discussion. Yeah, freewheeling. As you let us know what you <laughs> feel about it. <laughs> yes, please. Please feel free to reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter and SoundCloud. Our email address is... Discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me We love to hear from you. Please, your comments, questions or expansions of what we're talking about are always appreciated. And don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast. In this yes. case, there will be more. There will be something. Thank you for listening to us. My name is Grégoire Pierre. Edgar uh, Francisco Danielson. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. A couple of podcasts ago, yes. we used the term heteronormative. Yes. And while we were listening to the edited version of the podcast, we both thought that we should go back to that. Mm -hmm. So here we are. 
So uh, you being the culprit, Edgar? <laughs> I was the one who said... What do you... Uh, what, I said heteronormative. Oh my goodness, is a bad word? No. <laughs> so, uh, Edgar, what, let's start with... What did you mean by heteronormative? What I think I meant by heteronormative, even though I don't recall exactly what we were talking about, but my understanding of heteronormative is that is a lens through which we look at social interactions, including the ways we relate to each other, the way we structure family, the way we structure romantic and sexual connections. And we look through that lens what we ascribe some normalcy to the usual binary man-women and the sexual connections between these two, with the binary, man-woman. And that is a heterosexual lens. And we build our society using that lens. Something that gets out of that heteronormative lens, we look with suspicion. So anything that is connected, for example, to homosexuality, to transgender, to uh, non-binary experiences, all of that becomes suspicious because it's not the quote-unquote norm. So that's what I meant by heteronormative. And what I felt was that heteronormative today is one among many terms that is used in ways that become unhelpful. Mm -hmm. I hear the use that you're making of the term, mm -hmm. but I also feel that the term is used as an attack. Mm. It conveys the idea, or it is used in this way, that heterosexuality would be normalized, that there would be one way to be heterosexual. Mm -hmm. And a psychoanalyst especially, that mm -hmm. there is so many different ways to be heterosexual. Yes. And actually, not so long ago, in terms of human history, sodomy among heterosexual mm -hmm. was not allowed. Correct. You could go to prison. It was illegal, quote-unquote. Yeah. It was out loud. And also today we know that anal penetration is among the most viewed theme in porn websites. Mm -hmm. So as psychoanalysts, I think we have to be careful with those terms. And again, it's one among them as us. Mm -hmm. They come with loaded fantasies. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so the idea I subscribe with, mm -hmm. the idea that we live in a society that is mostly organized around heterosexuality, mm -hmm. or at least being between a man and a woman, yeah, and all the fantasies that come along with that, no problem about it. And how society at large has a hard time including other ways of being. Actually, even within heterosexuality, apparently. I can see that. But I, I feel like the term heteronormative then is used to actually describe a norm that is applied to so few people. And that will put people who are heterosexual in a place of being constricted. And that, I think, is bad both for the people who are the object of that projection, but mm -hmm. also for the people who are projecting. Mm -hmm. Because just as racism, as I mentioned last time, I think that when we are attacking someone or attacking a group or whatever, it has an effect also on the attacker. Of course. 
two things come to mind. One is, I think you're pointing out to the limitations of language. Yeah. That we have a tendency to oversimplify so that we can fall into the categories of a binary. So when, when we say heteronormative as a critique to the binary, we are also generalizing what it means to be heterosexual. And therefore, we may fall into the trap of saying, if you are not this way, if you are not a heterosexual that conforms to this mold or pattern, then you're not heterosexual. That's the problem of language, that it's always limited and it will never be able to be as large as we want it to be. But also, as we see in our offices, how this can be used as a way to split. It is a split. If you're heteronormative, you're bad. Yes, correct. If you're not, you're good. And there is a series, as I have mentioned before, there's a series of psychoanalytic terms that have become, quote-unquote, normalized in society, and they have lost meaning. <laughs> One of those terms is narcissism. So everybody now is a narcissist. And usually when I hear a patient of mine saying, my partner is a narcissist, it dilutes what we understand to be narcissism from a psychoanalytic perspective. At some point a few years ago, a lot of people were I'm borderline, or my partner is borderline. So it became a, a fad to use these terms in order to other someone. And therefore that is a split. So my guess is that what you're trying to communicate as well is that by saying heteronormative, if we are not clear about what we mean by it, we might be falling into that trap. We might be falling into yeah, the trap that heterosexuality is normalized, which is not. Mm -hmm. There might be social attempt to believe that it is. That Yes, there is an attempt. A psychoanalyst, especially, if we collude with our patients that mm -hmm. it is true, that, yeah, heterosexual, all the same. Mm -hmm. The way we treat them, we treat those other, they become others, mm -hmm. will influence the way the patient will treat himself or herself or herself or whatever. So I think as analysts, especially in terms of neutrality and the mm -hmm. question of should we, how much should we support our patient, how much should we challenge them, mm -hmm. I think it will help our job to keep in mind that those words can be tricky and the way they can be used can turn against the patient. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean we have to correct the patient, but we have to keep that in mind so that we don't jump in in a way that will get back at us at some point. When a patient uses words on terms like this, heteronormative, patriarchy, misogyny, narcissist, all of those words are now used around so freely and easily, I usually ask, so that we can be on the same page, can you tell me a little bit, what does it mean to you, that term? What is misogyny for you? So that we can check if we are on the same page. I don't think that's different from asking the patient to flesh out something that they have put on the table. But the difference is that it is socially recognized. It is. It's a social signifier, and it could be really easily be virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. I'm among the good guys because I'm denouncing X, Y, and Z. Correct. True. And I have seen it happening the other way around. I'm one of the bad guys because I think I'm a narcissist, let's say. 
Uh, well, you are not. You are here, and we're talking. And <laughs> yeah, it seems uh, it's a hard sell. <laughs> yes, uh, it's difficult but to believe never that you are. Uh, you but anyhow, well, if you feel guilty uh, for being a narcissist, uh, well, exactly. Let's okay. talk about that. When someone also puts themselves in the position of I'm the bad object, so it could be the good object, bad object, but it's a split anyway. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Like, for instance, it's a bit outside of it, but we use the term gay, straight. When we talk about gay, are we talking about men and women, or are we just talking about men? In France, we can use the term homo, mm -hmm. from homosexual, yeah. and it goes for everybody. Mm -hmm. But in the US, I don't hear people say homo. No. doesn't just doesn't translate. No. <laughs> Or maybe they talk about homo sapiens, but that's a different story. That's so, a different thing. <laughs> what's, what's your take on the term? The term is politically charged. Just to generalize here, the progression, you know, the appropriation of the term gay, it became an umbrella term. But then within the communities where people understood themselves or that they had an attraction to individuals of the same gender, they began to differentiate between uh, men and women. So at that point, the umbrella got fractured. It broke. And then we, we have terms like lesbians. And we have terms like bisexuals. And we have terms for men that's gay. So at this point, it seems that it's more acceptable to use different words for different genders or gender performance. So if a person experiences himself as a man, what I hear usually is that if they are attracted to other men, they call themselves gay. If it's a, a woman, identifies as a woman, feels attracted to other women, then lesbian. But more than this, what I notice in the younger generations is that they are moving away from that and they are using either the term queer if they are referring to either sexual orientation or gender identity. And if they are referring only to gender identity, they may use categories like uh, non-binary. This is a tendency I'm observing in the United States. Back in Puerto Rico, we would use the term gay. Well, when I was in Puerto Rico, we used that term. By the point I left the island, we were moving away from a generic term, gay. The generic gay was splitting into lesbians, gays, bisexual, so on and so forth. Because lesbian comes from lesbo. Yes. The island. The island, correct. And gay mm -hmm. doesn't come from an island. No, we're the happiness, happy, I'm, I'm gay. Is it, oh, yeah, is it happy or is Because when I was young in France, I mm. heard that gay was an acronym for good as you. I don't, I, no, I don't know about that. I don't know. But that's an interesting you know, twist. As a political stand, or yeah. maybe they used it afterward. Now, my experience working with communities of non-straight people is that they would not use the term homosexual. That term is not used. It's too much of a medical term. It's too charged. Medical? Yes. Historically speaking, 
is too charged with a sense of being the object of study of physicians. Because it's so charged, people at this point, they don't use it. I think they still do in France, but... That might be a cultural difference, uh, yeah. I emphasize that I think, because I haven't lived in France for a long time, but... Um... And to add to the mix, it's because many gays, lesbian, bisexuals understand that they are more than their sexuality. So the term homosexual tends to locate the difference in the sexual arena. They are more than their sexuality. So are heterosexual? Yes. Or do you think it's experienced differently? Do you hear a lot of people saying I'm, I'm heterosexual or they say I'm straight? Which is a strange name also. <laughs> I mean, I think homosexual and heterosexual have issues. Mm -hmm. The construction are problematic because mm -hmm. there is hetero, meaning others, mm -hmm. no matter what you do, except if you're a big narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> Then you're real homosexual because you love the same and really the same. You're not kidding about that. When there's a gender difference, I feel like there might be additional layers of difference, but there mm. is always difference. Mm -hmm. And what strikes me is that the term straight is mm -hmm. so dumb because there's mm -hmm. nothing straight inside an heterosexual, to keep the name, relationship. It's convoluted as hell. It might be connected to the jargon that was used at some point to refer to gays and lesbians and bisexuals, that they were bent. Bent? What do you mean they were bent? So instead of being bent, some people are straight, some people are bent. Like you're bending yourself? Yeah, exactly. Oh, you mean during the sexual act? No. Well, that's an interesting take of that you're bringing up. Yeah, because maybe the straight is because it's like two people lying on top of each other, so they're straight. I'm, you know, I'm spreading my ignorance in front of everybody. <laughs> you're raising a point here that might be connected to the sexual act. Or because they stand straight because they're proud? No, oh. because what is bent is wrong. It's not growing straight, let's say. Oh, yeah. but you're straight, you're strong, you're well fit, so you... I know. At some point in history, people thought that to have attractions to the same gender meant that there was something wrong in the head, some, their psyche. People were sick. Okay. So there are many words that have been used throughout history. One would be bent. And then, of course, people cannot see what I'm going to do now. But back in Puerto Rico, we would bend the hand like this. Yeah. Like this is very podcasty. Yeah. yeah the, uh, like <laughs> so this. So you're meaning I'm, like I'm a, a, a rectangle I'm, I'm, angle I'm from my, the my, forearm and the hand. Exactly. And the hand okay. in a 90 degree. And that is... Uh, a very explicit image that we would use to say that someone is gay. It's not about mannerism? Well, I think it's also connected to mannerisms. But that's, you see the bent part here, the mannerisms, all of that is included in that image. So there are many ways that we can other an individual in words and in images. And what's fascinating to me is the poverty on one side and the diversity on the other. LGBTQI plus, I mm -hmm. don't know. On the other side, it's straight. Mm -hmm. And I hear it. I want to emphasize that and I will emphasize it again. And I did before I know. But mm -hmm. I hear it from a social standpoint, mm -hmm. how it can be useful to maybe think those distinctions. But from a psychoanalytic standpoint, 
I think it is dangerous, a psychoanalyst, mm -hmm. to fall into that's what it is. And we don't question it. Because to not question the diversity of, quote-unquote, heterosexuality, straight people, mm -hmm. is strange by itself. As we have said before, by assuming what the term means, we foreclose the exploration, the potential exploration with the patient. And that happens with the, the word straight. What does it mean for the person who's using it? I'm straight. What does that entail to be straight? When the person says, I'm queer, what is that? We're entering now into the terrain of the politics of identity. And one of the challenges I see in terms of politics of identities is that there is no questioning. A person says, I am, fill in the blank, and that is never questioned. Therefore, you are. Exactly. And from a psychoanalytic perspective, we need to create the possibility of exploration because when we explore, we're not taking something away from the patient which I think is what's happening in the realm of politics, of identity, that you say who you say you are, and no one will question that. You're entitled to some things because you're saying that, or you're not entitled to this or that. How do we navigate this terrain in the, in the psychoanalytic room? I think the, what I experience as very difficult is that when... I try to explore something like, well, you're saying that you're trans. Tell me more about what it is for you. Mm -hmm. That some people may experience that as I'm taking something away from them. You cannot question me. But you are. Of course, we In are. In their fantasies, you are. There is always a loss when we are trying to understand who we are. That's part of the process. We need to, there will be a loss. And when we come to an, our analysis, I am this, the analyst is going to think, well, you're a fool. Because <laughs> you're not. <laughs> yeah. That's something like that. And indeed, it is castration. Mm -hmm. And it's painful. How so? You mean when we lose? As analysts, when we come and say, the transgender patient, typical, it's an easy example. Because in our heteronormative society, that's mm -hmm. the one who's going to create a problem. Mm -hmm. But I'm advocating to keep thinking even with people who don't seem to be a problem. You have a patient who presents himself, I'm straight. How so? What are your fantasies? Questions should be raised to get a better sense of what they mean. Mm -hmm. Agree. I agree. To feed the complexity. Mm -hmm. I think that This is important because in the social discourse, and I feel like it's, I feel, from my point of view, it is penetrating the psychoetic discourse, is that there's a fantasy that if you're not white, if you're not a cis man, then you're free of the bad. Mm -hmm. And I want us to keep thinking that it's not that easy. Mm -hmm. That you can be gay and be a douche. You can mm -hmm. be transgender and be a douche. Mm -hmm. You can be straight and be a douche. Mm -hmm. And other things, good things too. If we stop at the political discourse because we feel worried mm -hmm. to be perceived as a bad object, 
which we might be, mm-hmm. it is a disservice. Mm-hmm. How to deal with that? As we say, we certainly, on a social standpoint, I feel like it's very difficult. Yeah. But in the office, once the therapeutic alliance is installed, as you mentioned a few podcasts ago, yes, that's where to go. Yeah. Because otherwise we are being paid and we are complacent. Yes. One of the phrases that I've heard outside the psychoanalytic room is stay in your lane. And that comes from a place of I am saying this about myself. You cannot say it, the, anything about me. You stay in your lane. Or I am allowed to talk about ABC because this is my lane, but you are not. And if that spills into the psychoanalytic room, the treatment is done. It's finished. There is no way. Because one thing that happens in the psychoanalytic experience is that we use the psychoanalytic experience as a playground where we, in fact, enter different lanes and we explore what do they mean to us or why do I stay in my own lane? What's there? Um, What is the inhibition, we could say? There's something of a split. Yeah. And I think that it brings us to a difficult point. And now we are in the, the podcast, we're in the umbrella of neutrality and how to try to stay neutral, but how limited it is in some other ways. Mm-hmm. The question of the beliefs here comes at stake. Because some analysts might well believe that, yeah, they should stay in their line. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, for instance, the question of racism. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not the same skin tone as me? Well, you can't speak to me. You can't mm-hmm. understand me. My hypothesis is that the fear is so strong that people might not go to therapy. Yeah, I agree. Because they're so worried that what they experience outside mm-hmm. would be so damning to be experienced in a place where they feel vulnerable, mm-hmm. which might be true. Yeah. But to me, it raises the question of the difference between being different and to have a different value. What do you mean? Those two things are different. They are different, yeah. For instance, you and I, and we're not born in the same place. Our accent are here to testify about it. Yeah, they they are witnesses to our difference. (laughs) (laughs) And should we say that we are the same to feel better to be with each other? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. We are different. Mm -hmm. But does that difference indicate a different value? That is extremely different. That's very nuanced. Yeah, that's more complex. Yes, that is, I think, a confusion in a lot of people's minds. Racism is about that confusion. What is different is of a different value. Uh And I think as psychoanalysts, we have to maintain attention to how separated those concepts are. That you can be different, but it says nothing about your value. That your skin tone is not going to indicate that you're better or worse. Mm -hmm. Your gender is not. I hear what you're saying. I agree. And I would add that there is also a piece of reality. We create categories and identities and labels. And one of the things that labels or identities or categories help us is to find where do we fit in, yeah. which means what can we do in that setting. But also, 
where we do not fit in and what can be done to us. So I hear what you're saying, and I would add that also the seeing the difference implies or is intrinsic to difference the possibility that something will be done to us because of the difference. Yeah. And that is part of reality, and it impacts some identities more than others. Because what we said, you know, if, if we are in a heteronormative society, therefore there will be an attack on anything that goes beyond the heteronormative. If we are talking about a binary man and woman, anything that does not comply with that binary will be attacked. So difference and values and what can be done to us because we are different I think that these three need to be taken into consideration in, in this psychoanalytic room as well. Yeah. They should be heard from the patients. Yes, I'm not imposing on the patient. Yes. But it's coming from the patient. So that's where the question of how we use the social comes in. And yes. as people know, if they've been listening to our podcast, we both are very into taking into account the social. We don't believe that psyche just grows out of nowhere and mm -hmm. uh, it's a pure thing. So it's influenced by where we live. But as psychoanalysts, I think we should be very careful to use the social from the patient. Correct. And not from the social to the patient. Yes. Meaning, and we are repeating some of the things we already said, during the session, talking about heteronormativity, I paid attention Not to ask to men, so do you have a girlfriend? And to women, so you have a boyfriend? But mm -hmm. if I had to ask, I would have said, do you have a partner? But I felt like it was important for me to not be like, oh, you're gay. Oh, okay. So I'm caricaturing, but oh, you're gay. So yeah, okay. So you've been under a lot of oppression. Yes, you are owed to reparation. Yes, you should mm -hmm. hate X and that. And yes, you're allowed. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. You listen to the patient and you keep within you. I mean, that's my opinion, at least. I keep within myself what I know, what I've heard, what I've seen, of what it means to be a gay man, which is very different. Object choice is a thing. Skin color is even more loaded. At least in the United States, yes. Oh, you're black, yeah. Okay, so you must have experienced that. Mm-hmm then we are imposing the social on our perception of the social on the patients. I'm being more controversial here now. But the term Latinx, mm -hmm. from what information I get, is very interesting because it seems to come from academia. Yes. I've read different polls indicating that people who, ex who perceive themselves as Latinos and Latina, and I'm using those terms specifically, don't like the term Latinx. No. We don't, we, don't, <laughs> we don't like it. <laughs> And as you mentioned one time, X is a difficult letter to How do you uh, pronounce, pronounce that thing? You know, it, it obliterates how we talk and so, how we express ourselves. <laughs> what I see, but that's me. And I'm sure there are yeah. other things uh, within that term. And it might come and it certainly come for some people from a place of good heart. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's an expression of the social to the people. Yes, correct. I agree. Like we yes. don't want, we do, oh, poor things. We don't want them to feel bad. We don't want to, in the social, it can work a little bit. In the psychoanalytic frame, 
it becomes very dangerous. Yeah, you are oversimplifying. If the patient is X, then the patient must be feeling this specific thing, fill in the blank. So it reduces the experience of the patient to just feel something, <laughs> fill in the blank. And we don't know yet what the patient feels about being X, whatever they are. Listening to the patient to keep in mind the questions of what and how. How the patient is a black person in the world. Or how this patient is a gay person in the world, mm-hmm. in their relationships, or, or how this person is trans. Whatever the identity that the patient is bringing in the room, to keep an opening to hear in what ways that identity manifests from the patient in the world, in, in the patient's world. It comes with the question of the assumption. Yes. My sense is, from the great neuroscientist that I am not, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we function based on assumptions. I mentioned mm-hmm. that before. I really believe that. Mm. Oh, yes. We do, in, no matter what we do. But the question is, how do we deal with those assumptions? And that's where when we affirm something, a psychoanalyst, we can try to be helping patients, but we are actually colluding with, I don't know exactly what, but some beliefs. Something. I mean, does it work for everything? I don't know. To add to what you're saying, you know, uh, if I am a restaurant with people that don't know me well, and I say I don't eat seafood, which is true, I don't eat seafood, Mm -hmm. the assumption, the immediate assumption everybody at table has is, oh, you're allergic. Yeah, I was going to have that assumption too. Yes, (laughs) when it is that, no, I hate it, I'm not allergic. (laughs) And then I would say some kind of joke, like, you know, I'm emotionally allergic to... (laughs) to seafood. That's a good joke. But it's an interesting assumption because how someone could not like seafood and therefore it has to be a medical situation. You cannot eat seafood. It's not because you don't like it. It's because it, it really, it could kill you. It's a, quite a, an assumption. You know, it, in this kind of assumption, and assumptions also create, are connected to identity. And yeah. I, I want to state it more specifically, but I think we, we've turned around that idea a lot, is that identity provides a sense of belonging and a sense of protection. Of course. And it goes in many different directions. And maybe when people, just like me, when you said you don't eat seafood, assume mm-hmm. that you're allergic, it's a way to contain the world. Mm-hmm. Now the question is, how do we react when our idea to contain the world is shredded apart? Yeah. Are we going to attack? Like, no, you are allergic, (laughs) mister? Or are we going to be like, oh, okay, well, I'm adding that to the realm of possibilities. Well, people try then to say, okay, it's not an allergy, but have you tried? Have you you tried to eat? Of course I have tried. I don't like it. (laughs) Some people may still want me to conform to their assumption that if it's not an allergy, there's something wrong with me for not liking seafood. 
And maybe it's something wrong, but who knows? <laughs> I know that it's a question that I've been asked a lot to homosexual, being like, yeah, but maybe it's because you didn't try to be with uh, the good man or the good woman. And I would say that in some ways to try doesn't have to be concrete. And I'm speaking from a place of, as people might have understood, what would be called a straight man. The question of homosexuality has to come through. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can build, an, and I'm assuming of heterosexuality uh, when you end up being gay or lesbian or whatever, homo, as we say in French, mm -hmm. you have to confront yourself even in a fantasy way to yes. the question. Yeah. And at some point, it resonates more one way or the other. And it seems that for some people, it doesn't end up resonating more mm -hmm. on one way or the other. Then how much of the social pressure is bending the judgment? Mm -hmm. I'm staying alert to that. But you do have assumption. You do try in some ways, and then you change. But if you don't challenge your assumptions, you only rigidify yourself. You know, I guess this may show up in the transference as well. You know, an erotic transference between, let's say, a male psychoanalyst, a male analysand. And the struggle that might ensue, meaning how is it possible that there is an erotic transference when the person is straight? The point is that, you know, maybe straight is too small of a category. I mean, it definitely it, it, is. Exactly. So that it doesn't allow for the complexities of human interactions. And it's a disservice to the quote-unquote straight people. Yeah. It's a disservice to anybody who's being simplified. And I think it really raises the question of when and what we don't question as analysts. That's uh, an important question. Perhaps we need to ponder that frequently. When we don't question, is that coming from a place that it would be harmful to the patient if the patient is not ready for the exploration? Or is that I am not going to question this coming from a place of our own fragility or our own vulnerability, our own conflict around the subject that we are exploring with the patient? So it's a fundamental question. We cannot propel the treatment forward unless we are at ease or much as we can with our own vulnerability and fragility. It reminds me of one thing that Lacan mentioned, which I think applies there. I think it's more nuanced than what I remember of him saying, or is that the analysant only goes as far as the analyst did. Mm-hmm. There's something there. It's not as direct, but yeah. when we as analysts, for whatever reason, and sometimes it's not us being mean, mm -hmm. can't go somewhere, mm -hmm. we make it very hard for the patient to go there. Which means that then the resistance to the treatment is coming not from the patient, but from the, from the analyst. From the treatment itself. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's a counter-resistance, so to speak.
So this is it. And as I said at the beginning, there are three things that we wanted to uh, convey or add to what we said. The first is, and people might know already, about the short history of the term gay. So apparently the term gay was used after the fact as an acronym for good as you. Mm-hmm. So now everybody will know it and you will all go to bed a little smarter. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm still not sure that's such true, but I, I will. <laughs> oh, I found it on the internet, man. <laughs> that's my point. I rest my case. <laughs> So during that part of the discussion, we confuse object choice and sexuality. Of course, we know those things are different. Okay? Mm-hmm. I just want to put that there. Because sometimes I imagine some of our audience getting so upset at the stupid <laughs> things we might end up saying. And I want to say, we know. Sometimes we know. Okay, but it's <laughs> difficult in the heat of a discussion to be always extremely specific and detailed. Yes. The last thing I want to say is I want to specify or reiterate something. Is that just like for racism, I think it hurts everybody to caricature heterosexuality. Because just like homosexuality, it is in every one of us. Mm-hmm. Denying homosexuality within heterosexuality and the other way around is not helpful by caricaturing one or the other or any kind of expression of sexuality or object choice or whatever it hurts part of the patient instead of reintegrating what's at stake mm-hmm. I really want to emphasize that as clinicians we might tend to caricature something to feel on the side of the patient to think that we're going to reassure them but we never know the patient enough mm-hmm. And we might be closing door to potential reintegration by inadvertently, involuntarily forcing them to choose. Mm-hmm. And we need to be reminded again and again and again that identity, including gender, identity, sexual orientation, are, from our psychoanalytic perspective, compromised formations. So therefore, the story is more complex than just one tiny bit of identity it's more complex than that that's it thank you again and we'll see you next month until then bye 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 <laughs>